Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? <clears throat> How many think it's pretty remarkable we're done with the first chapter? All right, so we will back up just a little bit. Because uh, uh, I know some of you are lonely for chapter 1. Uh, you should have it memorized by now as many times as, as we... Uh, <clears throat> As we looked at it, I talked to a pastor a few weeks ago, and he said, I don't know why they were doing this. I guess it was good, but, uh, <clears throat> and I can't remember what book. I think it was the book of Romans. And they were going through the book of Romans with their youth group. I, I think that's a good thing to do. But, but it, was, um, it was a word study, and they'd been doing it for like four years. And uh, they gave each of the kids a Bible to, as they started this study. And the pastor told me, he said, um, th- that was going on when he got there. And I, I have no idea what the rest of the story was, except he said that years later, he was going through some stuff to get rid of it. And he found one of those youth Bibles, brand new, except for one book. The book of Romans was all dog-eared and tattered and marked up and stained, but nothing else was used. So we will try to avoid that uh, little dilemma. But let us go to chapter 2, and uh, I'm going to read several uh, verses. I've got a whole lot. Uh, I knew Cinnamon was going to share, and I've got a whole lot to share. There's more than we can ever cover today, so there'll be multiples of this. Um, Let's start out with a positive note. And you were dead in trespasses, excuse me, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Um, we're we're going to, hopefully, we're, we're going to talk about the first three verses of this chapter, and we're not going to get done with it. There's a, just a lot in the first three verses. This, uh, the more I studied this, the more wonderful. This, this is just, the Bible is just a wonderful book. This is, this is, and Ephesians is such a wonderful book. What a gift and what a blessing the Lord has given us. I, I pray that we never take it for granted, and I, I pray that somehow God, by His Spirit, draws us more and more 
in, into this wonderful book. Not, not just the book of Ephesians, but the Bible itself. So chapter 2 is a follow-up to all those blessings that we went through in, in chapter 1. So as with most of you, if you're in your right mind, don't skip from one thing to the next when you write a letter, neither did Paul. There was context and there's a continuation. There was, there's a, a, a continuity to it. And so here he begins to tell us, we'll start out with a positive, all the wonderful work that God has done on our behalf. In verse 4, he says that he loved us. Verse 5, it says he made us alive. Now there are theological terms for some of these things that we'll we'll perhaps touch on those. In in verse 5, it also says he saved us. In verse 6, it says he raised us. And not only did he raise us, he raised us with Christ to be with Christ and seated us with him. By the way, this is all past tense. None of this is something that will happen. And we know if we have some understanding of this, that there's a continuity to this, that we're in a, we're in a process. But this work has already been done because it's not based on us. It's based upon the work of Christ. He talks about a gift in verse 8. In verse 10, he says that we're his workmanship. And in verse 10, it also says he's prepared our future. So all of these wonderful gifts. And that's just a list. And when we get to, get to some of those things and, and go down through them, we'll see that there's a lot in the nuances and we'll, we'll, take, we'll have an opportunity to look at those. So... We'll look briefly at the blessings today, but to fully appreciate the blessings, we must know where we came from and know the truth about ourselves. And that's how chapter 2 begins. Paul is telling us about ourselves. And so the reality of self sets the stage for that little phrase. I heard, I heard some of you even respond to it when I read it, but God. Okay? So we know what that, <clears throat> we know what that phrase in our language means. And when we, we see that, we know that what's coming, <clears throat> what is coming after that is playing off of what's happened before. So there's a lot to cover in these three verses that tell us about ourselves, pre-Christian self, tell us about our culture, And even sometimes tell us about our churches. Uh, Let me read the first three verses once again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So there are are several, uh, excuse me, Um, there are a couple main emphasis here. 
One, he tells us that that there is a natural, a natural thing going on here, that there's a work of nature going on, and that we were following and walking according to someone else's direction, if I can use that term, and that the whole world was. So he's already telling us about ourselves. So to kind of introduce some of the main themes to this, let's take a little poll here today. Okay, I'm going to need you to vote. You ready to vote? (laughs) All right. How many are well today? Put up your hand if you're well. Okay. Just so we know we can stay away from you, how many are ill today? Well, that's pretty good. All right. Third question. How many are dead? All right, good. So we got everybody's well, no one's ill, and fortunately, no one's dead. How many know if you were dead, you couldn't vote? Unless you live in Chicago. All right. So I want you to stop and think about it, though. I was kind of... I, I was kind of, uh, uh, now, I, you know, I sprung it on you. I spent more time thinking about it. And I, as I thought about it, I thought, well, am I well? Well, I'm more well than I am ill. But am I perfectly well? No. Am I perfectly ill? No. So there are degrees in wellness and illness. Okay. Back in the old days, we went, we went to work sick. I suppose if you did not now, they'd probably call security on you and escort you out. But in the old days, we went to work sick, and it was no big deal because everybody did it. Um, things, have, things have kind of changed over the past three or four years because of that. Uh, but there are degrees of this. There are no degrees to dead. Dead is dead. Now, you may think that's rather obvious, but it's a profundity that's lost on most folks. We're not talking about physical death here, although we're going to relate to that a little bit. We're talking about spiritual death. And in a lot of ways, as we look through this, we're going to see that the spiritual dead have almost everything in common with the physically dead. The title of this message, I forgot to give it to you, is The March of the Dead. Um, (laughs) I wanted to put The Walking Dead, but that's been used. And uh, uh, I wanted to put Dead Men Walking, and that's been used. And then then the Lord gave me the word march, and we're 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 going to see. You know, when you think about a march... You think of a regimen, and, and you think of a purpose, and that's actually happening. And whether or not you're aware of it, the dead have a purpose, and they're in control of a lot of things. We'll talk more about that. We probably won't get into it. We'll get into, I'm going to mention it two or three times, and we'll get into it more as we look at this in the next few weeks. So, this is going to be one of our themes. The dead are dead, but even though... Uh, there is uh, no variableness in deadness. There are degrees of decay 
And that will be one of our themes. The dead in whatever state of corruption they may be create cultures around them that reflect that corruption. Now, this is, and again we'll get into the verses and the theology of this as we move through here. This is the biblical view. Man is not ill. Man is not unwell. Man is not in the process of getting better. I saw I saw a meme on uh, on Facebook. Don't you love Facebook memes? And it was from uh, an apparently noted philosopher who I didn't know who it was because I didn't recognize the name or the picture. Who and and the gist of this thing was that if we just had proper education that we would get rid of all evil and hate and so on and so forth. And I, I think that a lot of it rose out of what's going on in the Middle East. I don't have time to talk about all that today. It's interesting, but can't do that. And uh, I, uh, I didn't respond to it. Um, God gave me grace to keep my mouth shut. But I thought to myself, well, who would be that teacher? What teacher is perfect in kindness and love. What teacher has no self-focus and self-centeredness and no selfishness? What teacher has no unrighteous anger or unrighteous wrath? What teacher has is perfect patience and perfect justice? Well, there's only one, and you can probably tell from the gist of the theme that that one wasn't being considered. We're going to see as we move through this that the reason that one who could do this was not being considered is because they do not know that that one who could do this is there. That one who can do this is in some area of darkness blinded from their, that's blinded from their eyes so they cannot see. So, man, man is not in this process of getting better. He's dead. He's without life. Listen to this. He is without knowledge. He is insensible. The dead do not think. He's incapable of rational choice because he cannot, through dead eyes, recognize God. And because he cannot recognize God, he cannot even grasp the beginning of knowledge and or the beginning of wisdom. Now, I want to be very careful and I'll have to try to go back to this occasionally so that we don't lose focus of this. Paul addressed this to believers and said, this is the way you were. So as we go through this, and you hear me talking about the people who were, or or excuse me, who are like this, remember we all were like this. Everyone. And it was only by the good grace of God, some of those things that are listed beginning with verse 4, that we're not. So there are two spheres that are going on in this world in this place where we live. Two, two main spheres, and we'll talk about that as we move through this. If you want to 
uh, well, let me say this first. There is the sphere of the living dead. And there is the sphere of the believer. The believer sees things the dead cannot. The believer hears a voice the dead cannot hear. The believer lives in a different way, and we'll elaborate more on it as we look as we look at it. I think some of that will fall into place as we begin to to uh, talk about it. The unbeliever's sphere is a sphere of death. And the only difference in any of these folks is the degree of corruption. And if you, if you want to, uh, we're going to refer to it next week. If you want to, uh, Lord willing, we will. If you want to skip ahead to John chapter 3 and read verses 3 through 21, you will see Jesus talking to Nicodemus and You've got one sphere saying one thing and another sphere saying another. I'll just give you a hint. Jesus said you must be born again. Nicodemus goes, duh. How can a man do that? Does he go back into his mother? Are you with me here? He had no idea. And got to such a point. I'm, I'm, this is next week's message. All right, so it so, got to such a point where he said, how come you don't know this stuff and you're a teacher in Israel? So read the whole thing and you'll see it. Go, if, if you read it with that in mind, all right, here's these two spheres. One that's light, one that's darkness. One that's life, one that's death. And those two things are bumping off of one another. You give a lot of insight to the passage. So, um, I've I've been looking at a bunch of books doing this, and, and the the two main books that I've been reading, that I've been uh, studying, are uh, uh, James Boyce's. I'm I'm looking at it down here because <laughs> I can't remember it. James Boyce's commentary on the Ephesians, and, and John MacArthur's commentary on the Ephesians, along with a couple others. Um, uh, I got Henry Ironsides. I like it too, but I, I thought I thought it was interesting as I was reading through here that each of these authors quoted someone else and referred to the dead, uh, the spiritually dead, as zombies. Now, I bought one commentator commentary I quit using because it was all full of 21st century little anecdotal stuff. Okay, and uh, I, I I just quit reading it because it was too shallow. I did, I wanted something deeper than that. So I was a little bit shocked when I found out that these guys both called the living dead, or both called these these folks uh, zombies. And not only did they they do it, they quoted two others. Okay, so out of the two books, each quoting two others, we have four biblical scholars referring to these people as zombies. The dead who are unaware that they are dead. Marching on to the cadence of Satan and his world system. Now you'll see that. Again, we're going to delve into the text here. Following the prince of the power and air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of, the, of disobedience. Walking according to the course of this world. 
So, let's take, uh, let's start and let's kind of look at the text just a little bit here this morning. Firstly, he says they were dead. Anybody got any questions about dead? All right, let's move on from dead. They were dead in, look at your text, trespasses and sins. So it's an interesting, it's, a, it, it's an interesting concept. Trespass means to stumble or fall or go, go the wrong way, just very briefly. Sin means to miss the mark. So we go back into the original language and look what these words mean. <clears throat> Sin means to miss the mark. It's the most common, uh, this Greek word is the most commonly used word in the New Testament for sin. There's other words that are translated it. It's used 173 times. It means to miss the mark, excuse me, or to fall short of God's standard. And we know that God's standard is 100% complete perfection. So, <clears throat> trespass is sin, and um, the the material that I read said that basically Paul wasn't trying to, you know, delineate one from the other. He basically was putting this as his emphasis. So you you've got someone who tries and can't make it, and you got other people who are stumbling and are falling and they're go and they're going the wrong way, and that is the realm of life of the unbeliever. That is their sphere of existence. Verse 2, it says how we all walked that way. Verse 3, um, <clears throat> talks about, it says, among whom we all once lived. Some of your King James versions may say our, was our manner of life, or some other translation may say manner of life. One of your, some of your the old translations will say conversation. I don't know if anybody's got that. But that's what it's talking about in verse 3. It's, it's, it's that sphere or that realm in which the unbeliever lives. That, that realm of existence. The realm of the unbeliever, the sphere of the unbeliever in darkness, in death, is a sphere of sin and failure and unbelief. Now, we sin, humans sin because they're sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We live in the realm of sin. That's what he's saying here. That is the sphere in which we live. The, the Greek word is is to provide a location for all of this activity. Now I'm going to read to you. Um, let's see. Who are we reading? Look at my notes. MacArthur. All right, we're going to read you MacArthur. just want you to know, folks, uh, some of this stuff I've come up with, some of it I'm pulling out of here. The, the stuff that I can't say as well as somebody else, I let somebody else say it. So let me read to you a little bit about um, what MacArthur says. It says, he does not become a liar when he tells a lie. He tells a lie because he already is a liar. 
He does not become a thief when he steals. He steals because he already is a thief. And so with murder, adultery, covetousness, and every other sin. Committing sinful acts does not make us sinners. We commit sinful acts because we are sinners. Listen, Jesus confirmed this when he said the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. See that? Now, I've talked to you before because there's this, there's this theological concept floating around out here among contemporary Christianity that says if you do the right things, eventually you'll become right. Okay? That's, that's works. That's not faith. And, and it's quite contrary to the way, to the way things work, to, way, to the way God made things, and the way things are structured. Here, so the good man out of the evil treasure of his heart... Excuse me, the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And the good things that proceed out of the mouth, and the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come the evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, false witnesses, slanders, etc. So, man, man doesn't become a sinner. A child does not become a sinner when they lie, when they deceive, etc., they do those things because they are a sinner. Throughout history, I'm reading now, I've gone to the next page. Throughout history, people have varied greatly in their levels of human goodness and wickedness. But in relation to, relation to achieving God's holiness, they are equal failures. That is why the good, helpful, kind, considerate, self-giving person needs salvation as much as the multiple murderer on death row. The person who is a good parent, loving spouse, honest worker, and civic humanitarian needs Jesus Christ to save him from the eternal condemnation of hell as much as the skid row drunk or the heartless terrorist. They do not lead equally sinful lives, but they are equally in the state of sin. Remember, we lived our lives in sin. That was the location of it. They are equally in the state of sin, equally separated from God and from spiritual life. Jesus said, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same, Luke 6, Luke six thirty-three. Say, so do sinners do good? Jesus said they did. On another occasion, he said, you then, being evil, nevertheless know how to give good gifts to your children. Luke eleven thirteen. Do evil people do good things? A person apart from God can do humanly good things, but as the Lord points out in both these statements, the person is still a sinner, still evil by nature, and still operating on a motive less than that of glorifying God. When Paul and the others were shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta, Luke reports, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness I love that. That's a great story. Acts 28.2. Yet those natives remained superstitious pagans. Verse 6. Remember, they thought Paul was a god. Because when the snake bit him, he didn't die. And they worshipped him. A sinner's doing good is good, but it cannot change his nature or his basic sphere of existence. And it cannot reconcile him to God. Relational goodness is helpful to other people, and it is more pleasing to God. 
excuse me, and is more pleasing to God. It is a step in the right direction, but a hundred thousand such steps cannot bring a person any nearer to God because it is a sinner's condition of sinfulness and not his particular sins that separate him from God. His particular acts of goodness cannot reconcile him to God. Now, if you don't like that, you can talk to MacArthur. Um, Although that's the Christian doctrine of the depravity of man and of sin and why we need a Savior. It's unfortunate that down over the generations, the Church of Jesus Christ has identified itself with certain habits that keep you from being a quote-unquote Christian. Sometimes things that, that are, you know, we got a group out here that calls themselves Christians that won't allow you to have a Coke or coffee because there's caffeine in it, and that's a stimulant. They're asleep half the time anyway, but that's another... <laughs> We've put, we've, we have, we have, um, and, and so what's the end result of that? Well, the flip side of that is, is someone says, well, I, I've given up coffee. Therefore, God's pleased with me. The pleasure of God on any human being is a substitutionary pleasure that comes at the cost of Jesus Christ. It was on Jesus that God was pleased to let his wrath fall. It was Christ who lived the life pleasing to the Father. It is his righteousness that allows us to stand before this Father and and move from a sphere of death to a sphere of life. Not anything that we do, there is no good in us. Unbelievers are the marching dead. They're dead toward God, but they're alive toward sin, something that the Apostle Paul in one of his other epistles switches. It said we're to be dead to sin and alive to God as believers. This walking, marching, dead, is building his world of sin and rebellion, and he's doing it all apart from God. I want to read to you from Boyce. This is uh, page 47. Some years ago I heard from John H. Gerstner. Some years ago I heard John H. Gerstner Compare this to what horror stories call a zombie. For the benefit of those who do not read such literature, a zombie is a person who has died, but who nevertheless, who is nevertheless up walking around. To make matters even more gruesome, the body is not only dead, but decaying, putrefying. It is the most disgusting thing people can imagine. But that is what Paul says the human condition is before God. In their opposition to God, men and women are walking corpses. They are the living dead. 
Gerstner said, they are an offense to God's nostrils, the decaying spiritual courses stink. That's why verse 3 here in our text says we are by nature children of wrath. We have a Unfortunately, in Christianity, uh, without going into all the details, there's uh, places it comes from. It comes from our seminaries. It's crept its way into the into our churches because of the seminaries. We we don't hear a lot about the nature of the sinner. Uh, again. And you were dead. So, not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about who we were, who we are. We don't hear about repentance. We don't hear about brokenness. We don't hear about our sin and how it separates us from a holy God. We don't hear about a holy God. We can't imagine, I, as I said earlier, and I talked about who will be the teacher. We, 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 we can't imagine someone who is perfect in love, perfect in kindness, perfect in patience, perfect in justice, who, who, who never acts out of selfish self-will who never boasts to puff themselves up to make somebody else, to make them better than somebody else. But they don't have to. They don't have to do that. We live down here amongst all this stuff so much that we think some of it is, it's just common. And it is common, but it's not normal. That's not the way God made us. Made us to walk and have fellowship with Him. And again, that's we get through when he, when he's done. That will be that will be that will be restored. But that's why this says again. We think about this again. This is stuff that we don't often hear about. We we want to hear about things that will help us. So we want to hear about you know how can I be better in my job, better in my marriage? How can I ha- you know better in my finances? How can I improve myself? You cannot improve yourself. The first thing that must happen is God must make you alive. And those who and those who do not know they're dead have no need for life. What to do? Philippians chapter 2. I'll read to you a couple of verses. Verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be poured out that, uh, and I may be poured out that I, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says, you know, what, what does God want you to do? He wants you to hold forth the word of life. Let me read one more passage here as we, 
as we close. And we'll talk more from Philippians 2. We'll talk more about this sphere. We'll talk more about how, how it has permeated culture. Well people make well cultures. Sick people make sick cultures. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. I'm not preaching against baptism, but here's the emphasis. Preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where, the, where then is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. Remember, holding forth the word of life to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles. It's interesting. In Paul's world, there were two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And he, and he both, he says in, with both of these, he said the, the, um, the Greeks or the Gentiles seek wisdom and but we preach, we preach Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews in folly. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And he goes on, gives some examples of what went on in their own life. What to do? Hold forth the word of life. Share this gospel. Redeemed lives because of hearing the gospel. How can they hear unless someone tell them? Someone has to tell them. And it's in the miraculous work of God, which we find later in, in, in chapter 2, how he touches people and gives them faith so they can believe and so they can understand. And, and they, they then are, are quickened and made alive because of sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? That man is fallen and broken and dead and life is found only in Jesus Christ who paid the price of the wrath, which we'll talk about later, paid, took the penalty for the wrath of God. That's the gospel. It's not about anything we do. It's not about how good we are. We're not good enough. It's all about what Christ did on the cross. It's all about God's wonderful plan of grace and we, we, we can share that and God can use that faith comes from hearing the word of God and lives can be changed the dead can be made alive and as God gives you opportunity don't exclude your church friends because many have never really heard the gospel Many people go to, are going to church this morning and hearing how the gospel's about them. 
the good news is not about us. It's good news for us. The good news, the unsearchable riches of God is that God would love us enough to send His Son to die for us. That gospel is the power of God that makes the dead alive. More about zombies and the marching dead next week. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts today, firstly in gratitude for everyone who's listening to me who is a believer and under, they can only understand what I said. It only makes sense because your spirit has made it real to them. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for that grace. Lord, we pray for those around about us, family members, friends, who are dead and don't know it. Give us favor and wisdom to share your gospel. The power of God. It's not in a program. It's not in lights and fancy screens and musical chords the power of God to make the dead alive is the gospel of Jesus Christ help us walk in that power and hold forth that word of life in Jesus name Amen